Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All right, so we'll do uh, housekeeping one more time. Two ways that you can uh, interact with us as we go through here. The first place is within the chat. So right now you can go there. How long have you been in practice? Just write that in the chat. And then also where you're tuning in from right now. Uh, that would be awesome. The other place is within the Q&A. So if you have a Tyson for question as we're going through, um, as he's going through his presentation here. Awesome. Just put that in the Q&A. Andrea is also here with us to um, help moderate. So in uh, Tyson's presentation today, he's going to be going through uh, the six biggest marketing mistakes to avoid. And if you were on early, you know, spoiler alert, uh, there is a bonus uh, mistake in there as well. Um, but I'm going to guess that you're here because you want to scale your practice, grow your practice, you want to increase visits, you want to grow your revenue, and potentially even uh, hire another clinician or hire other uh, staff. And you want to avoid the common marketing mistakes that practices um, typically make that waste time and money. You're up against the major challenge right now, regardless of the exact uh, specialty you're in, whether it's physical therapy, podiatry, chiropractic care, dentistry, et cetera. Um, but you know, the US healthcare system is backwards. Um, I presented on this recently, but the, the last year that we have data, 2021, we spent $4.3 trillion on healthcare here in the U.S. That's one in $5 um, spent in the U.S. is spent on healthcare. It comes out to nearly $13,000 per person. And all estimates are that uh, 2022 will be even higher than that. Um, you know, if you look at where the money is going, $603 billion in 2021 went to retail prescriptions alone. It's estimated $150 billion of that was wasted or unnecessary. And if we look at all of conservative care, which is optometry, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, chiropractic care, and uh, podiatry combined, it was less than that. So we're wasting more money on unnecessary and unneeded pharmaceuticals, wasted pharmaceuticals, and that, that does not include over-the-counter. That's only prescribed. Um, we're wasting more money there than we're spending in all of conservative care. Pretty gross if you think about it. So you no doubt feel this uh, in the economic environment in which you're operating. Essentially, for most of us, there is tremendous downward pressure on our revenues uh, with Medicare cuts or whatever it may be. Um, inflation you know, going on right now, uh, less revenue for the services that we're providing and upward pressure on cost to provide that service, whether it's space or employment expenses, et cetera. Um, everything seems to be way more expensive than it was three years ago. And what that has created is intense competition and many of us feeling like we're undervalued uh, within the current marketplace. So we're here to help. 
you know, ultimately, what are we aiming to do? What is the vision? It's taking a look at our healthcare system on the left, which is absolutely unsustainable, flipping the healthcare pyramid and getting us to the point where we have the situation over on the right, the future state of where conservative care is at the foundation um, of everything that we're doing in healthcare, more affordable and better results. So the best way for us to do that here at Breakthrough is by working with um, conservative care practices just like you and help you build uh, demand for your services within the community. So this is Roger Bannister, first gentleman to uh, run a sub four minute mile, realize that um, other, you know, in help it in providing patient education it, within your community and building immense demand for your services, you don't have to be the first person to do that. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This has been done before the same way that when Roger Bannister first ran uh, the sub four minute mile, then hundreds of people did it uh, in the years shortly thereafter. It's the same thing here. You can do this. You can focus on marketing your practice direct to the consumer and building um, in, in intense demand for your services and feel more valued within the marketplace. Ultimately, um, once Tyson goes through here and um, provide, you know, presents you with the seven mistakes and what you can do about it in your practice, the pitfalls to avoid um, and how to avoid them, we're going to be talking about a patient demand system and how it's essential for you scaling your practice, educating your community, and leaving a bigger impact in your area. All right. I'm a practice owner. That's enough about that. Um, many of you are here because of the Grow Your Practice podcast, um, but I, I'm in the trenches here with you doing this. I'm literally in our practice here in Harrisburg right now. Along the way, I've done uh, a lot of things right, absolutely. And it's primarily by working with great teams of people like Tyson, like Andrea also. Um, but along the way, I've made a lot of mistakes. And usually the mistakes are when I'm doing this by myself. <laughs> so we want to help you uh, shortcut that a little bit. Um, and, you know, the thing that happens for most of us is we get a degree, we have a license to practice as a clinician. Most of us had some sort of jaded experience where we went out and decided to, you know, be our own boss, um, work for ourselves. And then once we did that, we quickly discovered that clinical skill does not translate over to business um, success. And we had to go back and learn those skills, right? So the biggest marketing mistake that I ever made, uh, there are many. So um, early on, I bought, I did what we all do as clinicians, but I bought advertising and I used to, I called it marketing roulette because I would only buy advertising and it was traditionally legacy media. So I opened up in 2003. So I was buying like TV, radio spots, um, print ads, newspaper ads, stuff like that, direct mail. And it was pretty much the, the ad rep who walked through the door. That's what I would buy. And usually the mistake wasn't in the roulette of constantly changing media, but it was the type of messaging that I used. And the messaging was talking about how, and at the time I probably had three other employees. So we were four people in 2000 square feet. And, you know, we were the premier rehab provider in central Pennsylvania. I had no idea what I was talking about, but it made me feel good as a clinician. And I would buy that type of media over and over again and spin that type of message. It 
produced nothing that was measurable in terms of outcomes. Uh, you know, I couldn't track new patients or plan of care and everything else. And we're going to be talking about, um, and Tyson's going to be covering how to remedy that. But the biggest mistake I made was not understanding my target market and focusing on me rather focusing on them. So question for you, what's the biggest mistake that you've ever made in your marketing? And uh, yeah, don't be biased towards my answer, but uh, that would be great. You, if you go to the chat right now, let's see, open up the chat. Um, oh, lots of stuff here. Awesome. Wow, we have some people that have been in practice for decades as well. Oh, lots. Awesome to see. Jason says not staying consistent. That is a big one. Um, I'm going to guess the pronunciation is Barry. Not doing it at all. Thank you for that. Um, Tracy transitioning from 16 years in hospital-based therapy services to new private practice in Minnesota. Congratulations, Tracy. All right. Uh, thank you for sharing. By the way, if you have a biggest mistake, Sarah says trying to get referrals from physicians. That's a big one. Any more? Jack said, how you doing, Jack? Not allocating enough funds towards marketing. That's a big mistake. No gunpowder. Jason says, not going to the consumer earlier. Eric says, getting busy and then stopping marketing until we slow down again. Pretty classic. What else? Wow, this is great. Uh, Natalie says, not targeting my ide ideal audience, targeting anyone, everyone and anyone. Awesome, Natalie. Jennifer agrees with Eric. Benjamin says, investing too much in direct mail early on. Cool. Any more? Okay. So... Thank you, everybody that shared. And by the way, if you have a big marketing mistake, more than, uh, yeah, it'd be awesome if you shared it in there and we can get to it. Jason added one more, not having a full year plan. Great. So I want to um, help you solve this and bring in a, a, a new voice here for you. So again, for those of you, before we um, got started at the top of the hour, um, Tyson is a marketing genius, specifically a, a digital marketing genius. So he has been doing this. Um, you know, my shortfall is I'm just a, like you, I'm just a practice owner, just a clinician. Tyson's full-time career, everything that he's done for the last 15 years, Tyson, is that fair? 12, 15 years, somewhere in there? Spot on, 15, 15 years, yeah. roughly. Right. 15 years. Oh, it even says, started my marketing journey in 2007. Um yeah, it, it, he is a genius. Uh, please, uh, my fear is that you don't ask the question that you have around digital marketing when we get time here. So if you do have questions, make sure you populate that. Um, ask him of anything about social media marketing. Go nobody understands Google better than Tyson that I've ever talked with in my entire life. So um, make sure you take advantage of that. I know we were on a call yesterday talking about uh new platform with TikTok and how to think through, through balancing um, that media. But he has experience there. He's managed literally millions of dollars in digital um, ad spend. 
over the course of his career, and he's helped. Uh, he's worked in many different companies. Right now, he is the um, head of marketing here at Breakthrough as well. But uh, without any further ado, welcome here, Tyson. Uh, thanks, Chad. Um, no pressure after that intro. Hopefully, uh, these next few uh, slides I'll go through are value. But really excited to be here uh, and really unpack these these six uh, common mistakes that we see. Um, and just just some framing on the mistakes. This this isn't a generic list. Uh, you're not going to Google and uh, and just see this list online. This is truly like six of the things that we see practice owners making. Um, and so it's very uh, curated and tailored to what we see. Uh, and hopefully through this kind of can, can give some value. I've got a couple of templates in here too um, that you're welcome to you know, email me, Tyson at getbreakthrough.com. After this, um, we can share those templates with you too that I'll be going through as well as the slide deck. Yeah, so the six uh, biggest marketing mistakes. And so let's jump into mistake number one here. So, um, and just looking through the chat, thanks everyone for jumping in and, and, and going in your mistake. A few of these ones I'll be diving into actually. So I, I heard, I think there was one in here where around ideal patient. And so uh, from, from Natalie, I believe. So, and that's what we see as really the mistake number one is not really understanding your ideal patient. And so to really to unpack that, often what we see is jumping right. If you look at this flywheel to the right, you know, it goes through the who, the how, and the what. Often what happens is that we jump and we see practice owners jumping to the how or jumping to the what. So jumping to the how looks like, hey, you know, let's just jump right into um, right into some of uh, the platforms. Let's jump into Facebook or we want it. We've heard we're supposed to do SEO. Or we're supposed to do social media. We should be doing some direct mail. Jumping right into the how without fully understanding the who. Um, and then what ends up happening is you get into this cycle of saying, oh, Facebook doesn't work or this platform doesn't work. Uh, because the who isn't defined. Without the who, we can't really get into the what and how we message. And so starting with the who, and there's really, what we'll see is really three stages of this. First stage is you don't know who the who is. So it's just this broad general message. You know, I'm here in Keller, Texas, which I was out of Fort Worth. So what that would look like is, you know, if I have a practice here, I'm, I'm marketing the, the 40,000 people in my zip code, roughly. Um, and not getting specific. The next step is, okay, we've identified the who in terms of demographics. I know the who might, maybe it's a 45 to 55 year old woman. She lives in a family household income of, of $100,000. She's married and has two children. And so that gets into this demographic. So that's stage kind of stage two. Stage three and where you want to be is understanding both the demographic and the psychographic. And so psychographic is, you know, what are her needs? You know, what are the common like concerns and pain points uh, she, she has and how do you solve those and how do you uniquely solve those? And so if we, if we jump over to the next slide, there's a template for this um, and we can send this over, but this is kind of a common template for building um, what you'd say like a, an ideal patient profile persona. Sometimes you may hear it called an avatar. Um, and you start and you kind of see that demographic is only a, really a small portion of this. You see like, what's the age, occupation, income. Um, and then after that, it's really, what are this, what is the person's like one to three main responsibilities? What are their one to three main goals? And what you want to typically do is to goals in a way that you would solve. Um, what are some of the frustrations 
Um, and then what are some common objections to maybe why they wouldn't want to come in uh, for care? Understanding and mapping that out then helps you craft the messaging uh, for them. And we're actually going to dive into messaging in a little bit here, but really detailing this out. So I would encourage everyone that's on this call, if you haven't gone through an exercise like that, this to take this template, um, we'll send it across um, after this webinar, but take this and start to fill this in, begin to fill this in, um, starting with those demographics and working into some of these more psychographics and then building this. And this is really where you start. So that's the who. If you go over to that next slide, Chad, with the who. So that's really where you start. We And, and Chad talks a lot about the who, the what, the how, so your market message media match. But the who is where you need to start. And that's the main thing that the number one thing that I see um, where we kind of go astray. Without that who, the what and how really doesn't matter. Because um, it's likely if, it, if you get it right, it's almost luck. Um, so once you get the who, then you go into crafting the what and the how. And so I'm not going to dive a ton into the what and the how right now, um, but ultimately it's the who, it's that template, really getting to understand who that avatar is. Mistake number two, uh, what we see is marketing features, not benefits. This is highly prevalent. Um, and it reminds me of actually kind of just jump into one of my favorite marketing campaigns of all time. Um, if anyone's familiar with uh, Dollar Shave Club, um, they had a marketing campaign uh, back in 2012. I still remember when it came out. It's a YouTube video. Uh, I was sitting around to my colleagues in the office when I first saw it. And we were just talking about how great the video was. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, I could you know, email me. I can share it. You can also Google it and it comes up on YouTube, millions of views. And it's witty. It's funny. It's their co-founder in the video. Uh, but what makes it good is not that it's witty or funny. Uh, what makes it good is one, they understand the who from before. They understand um, and they understand the pain points of that who. And then when they dive into the video, they go over like the main benefits of their razor, which is the main the main concern that that market had at the time was razors are expensive. Gillette, these other companies are coming out. You got one blade, two blade, three blade. I don't even know how many blades razors have these days, but they're selling these features and how amazing they are. They came in and said, hey, it's only a dollar. The thing works. Our, our money goes into the razors. It doesn't go to pay Roger Federer like all this money so he can endorse the razor. Like sign up. It, it was just witty, funny, address the main pain point. Fast forward four years later, they actually, you know, they got acquired for a billion dollars. They, they grew exponentially fast, but they were able to come and compete with a giant because they focused in on the pain points a whole lot better than this giant corporation was doing. And so marketing features, to benefits, not features. So if you click again, you kind of, we've got an example here, like wrong versus right. Um, ultimately, what the wrong way is what's showing, if you're kind of going through and reading it right now, I won't read it here, but it's focusing, instead of copy, that's focused on like all the good things that you're doing as a practice, like credentials, um, certifications, and all these things that, you know, feel great because you've worked incredibly hard for them to so the, the actual patient they want the result. They want the benefit. What is this going to provide to their life? And focusing the copy, which is on the right, um, and is the right copy, sort of pun not attended, attended, um, but is, sorry, yeah, yeah, but is ultimately focusing on the on the pain point. Um, and there's a, there's a framework that really allows uh, you to do this. Uh, if you go to the next slide, it's another template that we can provide. Um, but it's called the FAB matrix. And it, what it, that stands for is feature, advantage, and benefit. And so a good exercise to do 
is to go through and list out features, uh, as many as you have, and go through your website. Your features could be anything from the certifications, from some of the different things that you offer. It could be if you're offering laser therapy, it could be some things within there. List them out. Typically, you can list out of, of probably 10 to 15 features pretty quickly. Um, and then you want to map out, okay, what's, what's the advantage, ultimately, that we have uniquely positioned here? What's the advantage for the, um, the patient? But then what's the benefit of that particular feature? And so internally, like having a feature is great, but externally on your website, you want the benefit. So in your copy, you might leave with the benefit and then pull in the feature. And so, you know, if you have clinicians that are certified in hands-on manual therapy, let's say like, you know, what are some things that that's providing as an advantage it might be better and faster outcomes. Uh, but then what's the main, that's the advantage. What's the main benefit is like, say no more to, 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 to blank pain. Um, or it could even be even a benefit further down the line than that it could be if you getting back to the who, um, let's say if your who happened to be me as your main avatar, like in lower back pain, I want to get out there and be able to go play catch with my son more often, right? I, I, I want to be able to get back so I can get to this lifestyle that I want to have. So that's the core benefit to me. And so this is a template we can provide as well. It's a fab matrix mapping out those features to the advantage and to the benefit with your language, focus on the benefit to your who or your ideal patient. Number three that we see a lot is not building your patient list, um, failing to capitalize on it altogether. So it's, you've, whether you've been, I've seen chat, I think there's one private practice for 25 years, or, you know, you're, whether, so you've been in private practice for 25 years, or you're, you're starting you're just starting your practice. You're going to be working hard to get new patients. You get the new patient in the door. You, if, you, if you're not actively engaging with them afterwards, it's, it's wasting all this effort that you've done up front uh, because it's gold. And so there's typically four stages that we see um, on kind of past patient like list competency or where you're at. And so stage one, and if you click there, Chad, stage one is you, you just don't have a list. Um, and so you're not capturing a list at all. Maybe, maybe, you know, you don't have an EHR. There's no place that you're actually keeping that list or so that would be stage one. You just aren't keeping that list. Stage two is you have the patient list, but you don't know what to do with it. So uh, you might do something sporadically or you just, you just have it there sitting likely in an EHR, then you're, you know, maybe there's, you know, some appointment reminders, but you're not actively marketing um, to the list. Stage three is you've had some success. So we, sometimes we'll see at stage three, it's like, oh, I send emails. You might use a provider. We, we, we hear about constant contact or MailChimp sometimes use, and the frequency is, you know, maybe once a month, maybe once every six weeks where we've had some success, but it's kind of up and down. And the fourth stage is like, you're actually driving reactivation. You have campaigns on the calendar that's scheduled that you're, you're doing and you know how it's working. It's like it becomes a predictable channel. Uh, the great thing about the past patient list is it's one of the lowest cost things you can do in marketing because you've already, depending on how the patient came in, you've, there's already, already the upfront cost. So this is a way to maximize uh, patient lifetime value um, to continue to increase that patient value by continuing to market to them. And it's typically in a cost-effective way of doing it. 
Um, in terms of these four levels, as we go through them, and there's a poll that's going to pop up here in a second. Um, just curious, like with with those that are attending right now, like what what level do you feel like you're at? You know, one, two, three, or four. Um, and, and Andrew, Andrew will be popping a poll up here in a, in a moment to where you can select that. Give it, give it a few moments here, some results in. All right, got some results in. We've got uh we've we looks like we've got good mix and you know some level threes in here, some level twos, a couple at level fours, a few at level one. So a good mix. Um, this is great. I, I see a question from Jason coming here in the chat. Um after we get through these these six, we'll dive in and answer that question. Really happy to dive into open rates and, and email metrics. The fourth, I saw we saw this come up a bunch in the chat uh, when we were going through common mistakes. Is that inconsistency? And so, does this look familiar? This we see this pattern quite a bit. You need more visits, and so now, okay, there's a scramble almost. You know, and so we go into marketing. We get into marketing. We're incredibly excited about it. All of a sudden, now we have a wait list, or we're able to hire that additional clinician. Um, but we per our space, um, we, we reach and we've got to build a wait list again. So we say, hey, we're going to stop marketing because we, we, we in theory can't take any more patients. And then all of a sudden, it's, the wait list goes away. You kind of get towards a slow season, and then next thing you know, you've, you you need to start marketing again. And so you go through this roller coaster throughout the year. So this is one of the things that we see um, most commonly. Um, instead of that, um, and just kind of going to the wait list. Um, and, and, and Chad can speak a lot more to this than me. Um, but I think there's this common thing with the wait list that because we're at capacity, we can't take more and shouldn't do marketing, um, especially with um, declining reimbursements, just a good opportunity to reevaluate your payer mix, um, good opportunity to drop a lowest payer. Um, and then in, in the theory, you're then now increasing your, your um, per, per visit value uh, through dropping that, um, that lowest payer. Um, and you reduce a bit of the wait list, but now you're increasing revenue and it, you know, it wins. So you, you, the wait list is a good thing so long you're capitalizing and, and making some changes with the wait list. And so in, instead of the inconsistency, what we really need to do is plan. And so ideally, you come into a year, so 2023, you're looking at and, and you're saying, hey, let's break down this from you know, what are my goals in Q1? Uh, what are my goals for the year at, at first? How does that look like in terms of Q1? Q2, Q3, et cetera, breaking that down into actual strategic marketing campaigns. So what you want, we've got a kind of an image on the left here, and you want a calendar where you're saying, hey, this is our theme for the month. This is what we're focusing on this month. These are the dates of what's happening. And then your team is getting centered around 
this things and becoming mobilized around that. And that allows you to be predictably measure those results, measure that work. And then year over year, you start to month over month, you start to see what's working, what's not working. So it's important to block out the time each month um, in order to stay consistent. And so, you know, Chad will talk a bit and a bit around like some things that we do to help with that consistency and making it a lot easier with the calendar, but it's imperative to plan this out to stay consistent. Just uh, <clears throat> along those lines, for those of you that are on right now, wh what's your slowest time of the year? Like, do you have any anticipated slow season? I know for us and many in the Northeast, it's uh, going to be, we're just coming out of it. So Thanksgiving through the holiday season um, is brutal. Just was on with a, a an owner, Mike, here uh, an hour or so ago. He's in the middle of the country uh, in Nebraska area and it's right now yeah so natalie said right now dimitri says the holiday season jason first two weeks of january and also july um eric says january quarter one due to deductibles and a very common jack agrees december and january uh jennifer said the holidays as well yeah so a lot of us um at, and this is at least how I thought the first few years in business. And by the way, that if you've ever lost money in a single month, that to me was de absolutely devastating. Um, Q4 of 2007, I lost $44,000. Two years later in Q4 of 2009, I lost $98,000, almost $100,000. And that, um, yeah, just devastated me as a practice owner. And what we learned to do after those experiences were how to, that we could actually control the demand. So rather than whimsically waiting, you know, for th that slow season to happen, we would actually ramp up um, by using a calendar, by anticipating, by saying, okay, so November 1st, we're going to be running this promotion so that we're full, that we actually have a wait list through the end of the year. And that is uh, that was a game changer for us because rather than losing money in the fourth quarter every year, we were actually it became our busiest time of the year. Sorry, my mouse froze for a second there. Sorry, I apologize, everyone. I've got my mouse freezes off sometimes. Um, the fifth. Thanks for jumping in and sharing that, Chad. The the fifth thing that we see is investing in effective branding campaigns as opposed to direct response. And so to, to jump into this, kind of want to talk about what I can, what we consider, what I consider a branding campaign and what is direct response. Um, there are examples sometimes, I think we get enamored by branding campaigns because it's typically what, a lot of times it's what we see. You know, you've got these big corporations, you, you turn on, you know, Hulu, it's got ads, you turn on the TV, whatever you do, there's, there's ads. Uh, you've got these billion dollar companies, big budgets, and they do things for branding to gain some bit of market share. Um, and typically that's what happens in those cases. Let's say, you know, uh, Geico, you know, it does a ton in, in, in branding um, when there's not typically an offer. You reach a certain size where it's all about that percentage of market share with those companies and you don't have a product necessarily that um is can that allows someone to go and make an immediate take immediate action um and so we see those things and we just oh we, we need to model that um 
what often happens when that comes down and what we see with practices is it almost kind of becomes a progression of what we've gone through with the who and then the features and benefits becomes this branding campaign that kind of lacks clarity on the the who. Um, so it becomes this like widespread thing across an entire, entire area. The messaging ends up typically being very self-promotional, meaning like, look how many five-star reviews we have, or, you know, we have these certifications and it's not touching on the pain points. And then there's no immediate next step. It's just, we're giving you this marketing. Maybe there's some recall at some point, someone comes and responds, but there's, there's no immediate next step. And when you're marketing and you do not have a budget of a massive brand, what ends up happening with that marketing is you go and you spend marketing. It doesn't deliver patience. You look at your return on investment and it doesn't look good at all. Um, and then we're saying marketing doesn't work. Let's not continue to do marketing. Um, where direct response is different is the end goal is to get someone to take an action. Um, and the end goal is what you're looking to measure as a return on investment quickly. Um, and so that then you can pour that additional revenue back into your business, back into marketing and keep on growing. Um, and with direct response and how we, we teach on it is you, you want to meet your ideal patient, the who, with where they're at. You want to market to their pain points. You want to advertise those benefits and educate them. Typically um, in, in PT and Cairo, we need to, need to educate because uh, there's just some general unawareness around the benefits and, and the value uh, in the marketplace. And so you're going to educate that person. Um, the education helps position you as an expert, helps build trust. And then you're always giving someone, a, a, when we say direct response, is a next action, it's a sorry, a, a CTA or um, a call to action. You want them to be able to take an immediate action. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to measure. It allows you to predict and forecast that, hey, if we do this campaign and spend and allocate this amount of dollars, we expect to get this many people to respond. We expect this many initial evals, this many plans of care, um, and this much revenue. Um, and you can, you can, in theory, put it all on a spreadsheet and, and feel very good about the investment. And so direct response is, is the way to win, um, especially in, in, in the area if you've got hops and pops, you've got some very large corporate practices, you often see their marketing is like very branding. It's not super effective. And what you're able to come to through the direct response is to come into to disrupt and, and, and really win. And so we go to the next slide, we'll take you through a funnel of what, what is like what does like that blueprint look like? Um, and so, and this is one particular funnel, but you direct response can be through email. It can be through direct mail. It can be through digital advertising. This is an example through, um, through a Facebook of a Facebook ad, but you're highlighting a pain point. Um, and it's very patient centric, right? It's, it, it's, so if you go back and uh, we don't need to do now, but if you go back to the good copy versus the bad copy example, it's, it's, it's going to that particular benefit. Um, and so um, if you go to the next, you take them, you're driving them. So let's let's say this is a workshop in this case here. You're advertising like to the benefit of getting back to normal. Um, and then from there, you're driving them into this workshop that's going to educate them. You have a landing page that's very much catered to language. That's a benefit, very clear next step. You can see here, 
it's um, sometimes you can put a video here to build trust and, and to um, give some next steps. Sometimes it can be an image. Ultimately, it's a very clear. Um, we can go probably a whole 30 minute session on good quality landing page and like having your CTA above the fold about um, about aligning the copy of what thing, different things should look like. This is an example. So you're driving them to a specific action. From there, they're going to click on the register now. They're going to, you know, and the behind the scenes work is they're then going into a system. You're automating like a next email and, and some follow-up. And then you're ultimately driving them to an event um, where you can continue to educate them and then um, do, do some screens and things of that nature. But ultimately, you're going through a very um, specific funnel that you can measure every single stage of it. And so with direct response, the goal is an outcome ultimately of revenue um, and a positive return on an investment. And so often we just like kind of coming back, we see a lot of branding um, and kind of messaging that's not really aligned with the benefits. And then you go and you can't measure it. And so direct response is a great way to win in, in a crowded in a crowded market. Uh, the sixth um, is letting leads fall through the, the cracks. So, so let's say we're now where we've got the who, uh, we, we're marketing the benefits, um, we're doing some past patient you know, marketing uh, that we talked about. We've got this direct response funnel. The ad looks good. The landing page looks good. Great. You've generated some interest. You've generated demand in some capacity, people wanting to come into the practice um, that are at a certain stage. But what happens a lot is, generate a lead, you're doing some marketing, and then, hey, this lead didn't become a patient. This person actually never came in. They didn't um, start a plan of care. It's often because there is a leak in that, that process. And so generate a lead, there's typically what sometimes we'll see is like there's no, there's no follow-up. Um, and so there's best practices on follow-up, uh, really wanting to make um, – seven calls into that. You want to automate certain emails and reminders in order to actually get someone that's interested to come in uh, to the practice. And so um, if we kind of go through the steps, there's like a common place. If you go to the next um, next slide here, Chad. So you, you, coming back to that funnel that we went through, you have an individual need. So now let's go through that Facebook example. You're marketing them on Facebook. You got a well-crafted ad. They come to um, and they click on that particular, their ad, they come to a landing page. All right, now they fill out the form. Amazing. What happens after they fill out that form and respond to the ad? Like oh, oftentimes what we'll see is work kind of stops there. We're done. But then we have this gap and then becoming an actual patient. And it's because there's this step of what we talk a lot about, about conversion. We need to actually continue to educate them. We need to um, follow up with them ultimately to book that plan of care. So that's what we typically see is a leak in the funnel. This is the most common place we see the leak, but there are other places as well. Um, if you're not doing direct response marketing right now, or you're, you've, you, you put some ads out yourself or whether it's direct mail, but then where that person's directed to afterwards is in a, is in a landing page, then your leak is there. And so uh, your leak could be at a different place in here, but we typically see it between step two uh, and step three. And I've got one final bonus point that I'll jump into. Now I'll, I'll probably go through this quickly because I, I know we had some questions already. I want to make sure I can answer questions. Um, uh, but 
one other thing that I commonly see is not knowing what's working uh, and why. And so this is one of the most difficult things in becoming repeatable. Um, it's you have your calendar and you're, if you get to that step, you have your calendar doing things consistently, you need to kind of understand what's working and what's not working. And so in order to do that, um, it's important to have a system and there's, um, different systems out there, but there's important to have a system to measure what's working. Um, and there's really some key things that you want to kind of go in and start measuring before if you, and, and I'll just jump right into that. So we go to the next slide, Chad. When, when marketing, um, there's some, some key practice vitals, um, that, that Chad can really dive in a whole lot better than me, but like on the marketing essential side, it's, you want to really, at the end of the day, you want to, when direct response marketing is understand like your ROI per channel. Um, and in doing that, you want to be tracking, um, you want to be tracking new patients per channel. You want to be tracking sort of like, what are the leads per channel? And that's not listed here, but you want to like, what are the leads coming in? How many are becoming new patients? And I always say you want a leading metric, you want a lagging metric and a balanced metric. So um, your lagging metric is going to be your new patients and your revenue. What are some of your leading metrics into that? Well, the leads that are coming in the, or the interest that's coming in um, on email and you're coming into like past patient list and your email, you want to be measuring like your, your leading is you want to really be measuring your open rate. Uh, but there's some other metrics. I, I really like to look at click rate, which is essentially how many emails you've sent versus how many have actually clicked on an action, a CTA in the email. And so you want to be measuring those by campaign, by channel or platform. And so you can really understand what to lean into and what not to. And as you start going month over month, you can continue to refine and get better. And so often, you know, uh, when, we, when I talk myself with practice owners, like you kind of get an, oh, we're doing marketing. Well, what's, what's driving new patients? And there's not always an understanding, like maybe a blend of how it's doing, but in details, it's not. And knowing the details is how you can refine and improve. Um, and so um, that's a bonus one in there, but that's an important one to do. All right. So, and thank you for going through those uh, six plus a bonus there, Tyson. Uh, appreciate that. Also, just in thinking through our own marketing here for my practice, uh, everything that you said in there rings true. So I want to talk with you about uh, patient demand and specifically how it can help you grow and scale your practice. Um, Tyson talked about uh, payer mix as well. So many of us are having you know, some issues in today's marketplace of, of hiring, or I hear you know, we're losing the clinician to the hospital system or healthcare system, we can't possibly compete. We have payer mix issues. We're trying to add cash pay services. That's pretty much the flavor uh, of the month that we're all going through at this point. In the end, it comes down to the very simple business acumen and, and math. Number one is we want to focus on keeping our schedules and our and our space full at all times, keeping that consistency. And I remember somebody saying that earlier. Um, increasing, you know, per patient revenue, and this we can do this in many ways. We can eliminate and have a lot of uh, information out there on eliminating, you know, our the lowest payer, which I just did a podcast. Um, that we recently released through the Grow Your Practice podcast on that specifically. Um, and the third thing is reactivating past patients. Exactly as Tyson said, you know, the greatest asset in our business 
when we pay attention to it is that patient list. We can email them, we can text them, we can communicate with them. And frequently, if we do have a slow season, if we just put a little more effort there, we can get our way, um, make our way through that slow season. So there's no dip in top line revenue. You know, all three of these, they require us to build, to increase demand for our services or increased patient demand. Um, when you have this in your practice, you know, it's really going to help you control your new patient flow. I always think about predictable growth, right? We're investing in a new space. We're opening up a 2000 square foot clinic. How fast can we fill that clinic? Or if we're going from a 2000 square foot space and expanding, adding one, a thousand square feet, how fast can we um, fill that in? Uh, reach your, you know, our, our volume goals. Think about what it changes for you. If you know when you're hiring, you're making that offer to the new clinician that you know you're going to be able to have their, their schedule full in the next 60 days. We can proceed forward with a lot more confidence as we're growing and scaling when we have that sort of control um, over our new patient flow. Um, yeah, get new clinics up to speed. We've documented this many times. We're literally on the eve of opening up our seventh clinic. I think the last four have gone uh, from zero to 100 visits all under 90 days. All have been profitable within 90 days as well. You can do the same thing there. Um, in the end, you know, we're all time starved. So saving time in terms of learning, um, you don't have to be Roger Bannister again, just follow the path. Don't have to reinvent the wheel there. And in the end, what does that mean? You're helping more people leaving a bigger, bigger impact. In terms of, uh, you know, getting, creating success with patient demand, First thing that we want to be able to do, and this is really a nice summation of what Tyson covered, we want to be able to reactivate past patients with multimedia, how our target market um, is re responding, the media types that they're using and the way they're using it. We want to be on the same thing. Right now, for many of us, it's email and texting, especially with our, pa our past patient list. We want to be able to reach our target audience wherever they are um, with digital advertising um, and advertising campaigns, attracting new patients, leading with patient education, make it easy all in one place for your patient or for you to follow up with any potential patients that you have, people who are clicking on ads, and Tyson gave you some examples of that, but people who are clicking on ads or responding to your email, you have an all-in-one system where you can track everything. You can also see your ROI. The lowest ROI is going to be from your patient list, and then the the most expensive, uh, the lowest ROI is going to be from, you know, when you're going to a less aware market and you're going to be able to fill in the gaps of, you know, all five stages of awareness, um, which we've talked about before. And then over time, you know, you need training the the, the competency and skill set for your team, your receptionists, your marketers, et cetera, your clinicians to rely on physician referrals, which was one of the things that was in here, you know, takes that, take that faxed or um, emailed script in and just call the patient and schedule an appointment that the competency is significantly different than, you know, talking with somebody who just responded to a Facebook ad. If we're treating them the same, we can make major errors um, in our marketing and really essentially waste our marketing or have a leak in our bucket. So what we've done is we've put together a lot of training for you. Patient demand platform in the end, you know, at our most basic level, that's my mom walking by in the background, is uh, attraction in the upper left-hand corner. 
So we have people getting people to raise their hands with direct to consumer, direct response marketing, leading with patient education. Once that happens, we have to convert them over to a paying patient. There are ways and tools that we can do that here. And then in the end, we want to be able to measure it so we can make better decisions going forward. Now, ultimately, if you try to duct tape this together yourself, as I was doing 10 years ago, it looks something like left with breakthrough. It's all, all in one, all in one cohesive one-stop shop that covers everything for you. So if you're interested in learning more about how you can grow and scale your practice, fill up your schedules, fill up your space with Breakthrough, uh, there is a poll that's coming up right now. The other thing, we'll make sure uh, Tyson's email um, is in the uh, chat here. You can email him directly or we can put my email in there as well if you have any questions. But if you'd like to learn more about what a patient demand system, the same exact patient demand system that I'm using in my practice you'd like to learn more about that and what that can look like in your practice, um, just click yes in the poll. And what will happen is one of our uh, experts here at Breakthrough, they'll contact you for a free growth consultation because we're all different. Right? We're all individual practice owners here. At this time, we'll open it up uh, for questions. Uh, there are a lot, Andrea, uh, wherever you'd like to start or I can moderate, up to you. I have been tracking them, so I'm happy to moderate. Um, so we'll get through as many as we as we can and uh, feel free to continue dropping your questions in and we can follow up with you separately if, if we don't have time to get to it. But um, we'll go to Jason's question first. He asked, what should be your email open rate and what re-engagement should we expect? Um, we're doing things each month. Yeah, good question. So give you benchmark um, and then I can give you like what we typically like the average benchmark externally, average benchmark for breakthrough and then some some other things in between. So you know in in health in healthcare, if you if you were to Google like benchmarks on open rates, um, it's going to change slightly every year every year it's going to go it's going to go down a tiny bit. you're going to be around like 19, 20 percent on open rates. Um, and so typically, oh, you're doing better than that, and then you're above the benchmark. Um, on a lot of the campaigns that we do um, for customers, we'll see open rates well over 30%. So, it, you know, in terms of open rate, I, I say the, the better number to look at is, depending on your email, is to look at your click rate or look at your reply rate. Um, so the click rate is essentially, you say you send 1,000 emails, the click rate is how many people of the 1,000 click? Um, open rates of how many of the thousand open open rates sometimes can be misleading um, for a number of reasons um, and it doesn't indicate that anyone took took action there's some email clients for instance like um, outlook um, less applicable in this context that will just will, will count an open even if someone hasn't actually opened and read just the way the client does if they it's like market it's just without getting the details where open rate can be a little bit misleading so click rate Industry benchmarks on on click rate are like sub sub one percent. Um, reply rates are also sub one percent. Um, there, however, like we we've seen like as high as like ten percent on reply rate. So it's it's all relatively you know depends. What I would say is what you want to aim for is if let's say you're open to click 
ratio, you want to try to be above 10%. So if you have a 20% open rate, you want to try to have your click through be 10%. So your click rate is 10%. So look at it that way. Um, ultimately, like when you're sending emails, like how many um, additional, like, like how many replies you're getting? Are you actually getting um, additional plans of care from it or, or getting someone to come back in, getting someone re-engaged? I would measure it more that way um, and be looking to get an ROI from that standpoint. But benchmarks is you want to be over 20% on opens, 10% on click-through rate, um, and then really over, try to be over 2% on the click rate. Tyson, I, I pulled up one of our dashboards. I'm more than happy to share it. Just so you should be able to see this. You can see my screen okay? Yep. Yes. This is for our Shrewsbury office. Um, we, yeah, so this um, this is a de novo for us. We call it our uh, our COVID clinic. It opened up March 9th of 2020. That was a Monday, March 13th, Friday the 13th is when pandemic hit central Pennsylvania. So we had to close this clinic down right away. But um, yeah, they're, and just to give you a, a, an idea, they're doing about 300 visits a week right now. Um, but yeah, you can see emails sent. I went to July 1 of 2022 to present day. Um, open rate there across the board is 33%. So you can see a little bit higher in some months versus others. Um, we've also this includes campaigns that we were testing in there and then 167 click through uh, or 167 people clicked there as well. And then we have this broken down for each clinic. But just to give you an idea, um, I know in general, the breakthrough campaigns are usually significantly over the benchmark. Um, we've seen some campaigns well over 40% in terms of the, the open rate. Yeah, thanks for sharing that chat. And um, Jason, yet yeah, the 30% is, is a, is a great, is a good open rate. I'm not saying, cause it was just what we had there for breakthrough, but if you, if you were to Google like benchmarks and there's some studies out there, you'll see in healthcare, it's usually somewhere between 19 and 21% as an average. So 30% um, is really solid. So how you would, should benchmark, um, you, you kind of take those two numbers that we just shared. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Um, we have a lot of questions here on Google. Um, so Eric and Natalie both seem to be um, experiencing a similar issue. Eric said, presently, we have five, we have more five-star reviews than any other clinic in our area, yet our Google search organic ranking has fallen over the past two years. Can you tell us how, at a high level, we can get back on the first page? Um, and then Natalie was experiencing something very similar. Yeah. Um, so with SEO, let's say in like in to at a macro level, there's you have on-page SEO and you have off-page SEO. On-page is going to be is going to be things like your like your keyword density. You know what you know what what. So someone searching for let's say physical therapist near me. Um, or physical therapist, and then insert your city um, or your zip code. And these are some pretty commonly searched terms. Um, it's going to look and see like, okay, is on page, is it structured correctly? Um, so when you're structuring correctly, there's all sorts of things that go into that, how you're using headline tags, 
um, your just meta description and page title. And then the keywords that you're using there are important um, towards what those people are searching for. So there's things that you can do on page. There's also things like page speed, like how fast your page loads. Is it mobile optimized? These are things that don't usually help you, but they can hurt you if it's not good. Um, and so that's your on page. Your off page is like things like, do you have other companies linking to those pages? Like, are you, do you have high authority sites like linking to that page to say, hey, this, this page is credible. So those things are typically happening in tandem with SEO. And so if someone's now ranking higher than you in the rankings, it's hard to give like, here's why um, without actually auditing and looking. Um, if it's, it could be uh, because they have, they may be a smaller practice than you. They may have all those things, but they may have invested a lot of time into really improving that on-page SEO or improving some of that off-page SEO. Uh, there could potentially be things on your website that are like hurting you because like sometimes what I'll see when I look um, at sites, because um, there was a time where we were offering, we can offer this again. If you're interested, we can do this for you. We were doing this like assessment that included a, a, an SEO audit. So if you're interested, uh, email me afterwards in that, and that's something we could provide for you. We put it together and then you hop on a call with um, someone from our team, they break it down um, and they can tell you how, what areas we can help. Um, we don't focus heavily on SEO here, just so you know, uh, but we do a bunch of other things for what Chad mentioned, but typically it's like things on page that are off, like headlines aren't used correctly, don't have specific descriptions per page, it's typically some easy things. So it, it's hard to say, um, when it comes to reviews, like, you know, and if you're speaking about ranking within the reviews themselves, and that comes into like the map on Google and Google maps, sometimes there's factors like if, for instance, if I search on Google, I have my address and location shared with Google. So they typically show me the practices that are the closest to my actual home address first, regardless of how many five-star reviews they have. So that's a little bit of a separate thing. Um, I'm sorry, that's not like this clear answer, but I, I, without giving you an audit, I can't really, I don't know for sure, but it's going to be something on page or off page typically. Thanks, Tyson. Um, hope that helps some Eric and Natalie. Um, Jennifer also had a question about SEO. Let me see if you've answered it already. What are your thoughts on using Google ads versus focusing more on SEO with a company who specializes in SEO? One, you're talking to someone that I started my career as a, a SEM, so a search engine um, manager, I guess search engine marketing manager and managing Google ads accounts. So I, 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 I am a big component of Google ads. And there you should really be doing both. You should be cognizant of what you're doing from an SEO standpoint, while also doing Google ads and supplementing them both. Um, initially, I would say like to look and audit it. Typically you'd audit like your area, what are people searching? There's tools to do that, to determine like what makes the most sense. But if you're going to have some type of lift like from an SEO, like who are the competitors, how competitive it is, depending on your location. There might be hardly anything you need to do from an SEO standpoint to rank number one. Um, but if there's some people and competitors that are advertising on Google, because they're going to show up, those three or four actual paid ads are going to show up before the organic, like a high percentage of the clicks are going to go to those paid. So even if you rank number one 
number one organically, you're going to miss out um, because you're not Google ads. So it comes down to goals a little bit. Um, in terms of, there was something else I was going to say in there that I'm blanking on. Um, so it's a bit of both. I would say if you're, oh, if you're deciding between the two, I would say it depends on heavily on the SEO company. Google ads is very easy to measure. A lot of times SEO companies will come and promise a lot and first page and not, not deliver. Um, and so I would it really depend on what they're going to do. If you're going to move forward with someone on SEO, I'd get very clear on what are they going to do for you um, and how are they going to measure that. And um, if they're going to do a bunch of generic things, like, oh, we're going to do these blog posts and they're like these generic posts that they do for everyone, there's not a ton of value in that uh, because it's it's not value, really valuable content. And so I would just evaluate that way. If you can do both, I would do both. Um, if I was saying to lean one, it would be... Um, without knowing the specific situation, I would say Google ads initially and and do some some of the basic SEO things on your end. Uh, but I would say, again, if you're interested in like a bit of an audit, you know, shoot me an email and could help guide you a bit better there, um, knowing your specific like details. And I um, dropped your email in the chat um... For anyone who, who wants to reach out to Tyson directly, his email is Tyson at getbreakthrough.com. Um, I know we're at the top of the hour, but I'm going to give you guys one more question, if that's all right. Um, Before you read that, how about some uh, love for Tyson in the, the webinar chat? I think you just got some from uh, Jennifer there. You got all caps and two exclamation points. That's pretty good. Thanks, Jennifer. Yes, thank you both. Um, so Benjamin asked, speaking of Google, is it helpful or important to regularly post new info on your Google business page? Um, and then Amy mentioned that she's having some issues with Google maps, her Google maps listing. Um, so wondering if either of you can, can speak to those, both of those questions. Is it helpful to post on Google, your Google, my business page? Um, you can. I would, depends on what you're posting. I would, I would opt to do, depends on the nature of the post. Like if for time's sake, if, if I am, if you're, if you only have a certain amount of time every week to devote to doing certain things within marketing yourself, um, I would think of what is the one piece and medium that's the easiest for you that you feel most comp comfortable with. And then how do you, um, how do you distribute that to multiple channels? So um, for instance, it could be, hey, I'm gonna do a you know, a five-minute video every week. I'm gonna kind of record and go through some common exercises around a different, you know, a, a different um pain type or some area um, where someone's having some pain. I'm gonna go through some exercise and talk about it for five minutes. I'm gonna post that on YouTube. Um, and then I'm just going to um, use a software or, or pay a VA to just transcribe this. And that's going to become a blog post. And then I can, um, I can post that a link to that blog post from Google, my business and like do it that way. Um, so that you're leveraging things in multiple areas. Um, I would go about it that way. Um, if depending on what you're deciding between, like can posting on it help? Yeah. I wouldn't say it's the highest impact thing to do though. Um, if you're deciding between that and like, hey, let's do a blog post weekly, I would do the blog post. 
Thank you. Um, any insights into the Google Maps issue that Amy mentioned? Um, she was saying that they used to be pretty accurate for us and other competitors, but now businesses are not showing up in Google Maps. Um, instead, individual therapists are. I don't know if that's something um, that you might have seen, Chad, or know anything about. Yeah, just um, we literally had this happen yesterday. One of our clinics isn't showing up despite searching Maddening Gilbert Physical Therapy and the the name of the town. Um, but I can go, I can find it, but not through the search. So usually what has happened there, um, especially if you're working with uh, another marketing company, is they've done something, um, they've asked you to do something, and the essentially the Google My Business information is wrong. Um, so I know years ago when we were going through this process, um, and that's exactly what happened, that they put a single clinician, you know, it would be Joe, Dr. Joe showed up for the Harrisburg uh, Madden and Gilbert PT location. So it was just, we literally, or the marketing company acting on your behalf or our behalf, put in the wrong information. So usually if you have the login, go through that, make sure it's correct. And then, uh, and it should rectify the situation. That's super helpful. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Tyson and Chad, for the awesome insights um, and information and really appreciate all of you guys for taking the time to join um, and hope you have a great week. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.